0: Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. And under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, And he had a wife of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Many of you will remember the name of Siskel and Ebert. They were movie reviewers who got together and teamed up and played off of each other, and there was just an energy, and they were a dynamic duo, and became very, very successful. But in Roger Ebert's later life, he developed cancer, and it was really serious, and he had to have surgery and treatments, and ultimately he lost his voice, and he lost the ability to eat and to drink. And yet, he stayed incredibly positive, um, joy for life. He was an amazing man. It turned out that he would be the first person to be a um, a movie critic who would win a Pulitzer Prize back in 1975. He first came to Chicago to work at the Chicago Sun Times, and he would work there for almost 50 years. Came in 1967, and in the end, he bought him. He rented himself a house when he first got there in the beginning, and. There he he lived for about 10 years as he kind of got his feet on the ground, got established, was able to start making more money and became more well-known. And after about 10 years, he was finally able to buy himself a home, his own house, a little nicer, a little bit bigger. And he wanted to celebrate. And so he had a big party, invited all of his family and friends, wanted everyone to come together and celebrate with him that he had this new home. Well, during the party... He had a friend named Sherman, and Sherman went looking for Roger and found him in the kitchen talking to a lady, and he just said, Roger, I am so happy for you. This is a lovely home. I mean, you were living in a pig pen. It is so good that you were able to get out of there and come and have this kind of a beautiful house. I'm happy for you. And Roger said, well, thank you very much, Sherman. I appreciate that. You know, I'd like to introduce you to my friend here, her name is Ms. Dunbar. She's my former landlady. It was her home that I rented. And he starts backing, oh, I, 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 I'm so sorry. I'm so, I, you know, I didn't really mean, I know that was kind of mean. I shouldn't have said it that way. I, I'm, I'm really sorry. It's okay. It's okay, she said. I, I'm, we're all very happy for Roger. Well, he turned and he left. I mean, he was embarrassed. He got out of there. Went out onto the deck, found his friend John sitting there visiting with a man, and, but he just interrupted. He just had to talk to somebody, and he started saying, John, I cannot believe what I just did. I mean, I just was in there talking to Roger, and he was visiting with a lady named Mrs. Dunbar, his former landlady, and I'm telling how he'd been living in a pig pen, and I was so happy for him that he could finally get out of there, but I couldn't believe. Here is this lady who owned the house. And Roger said, man, you must have felt really bad. I did. But I mean, once you say those kind of things, you can't take them back. I know, I know. John said, I'd like to introduce you to my friend here. His name is Mr. Dunbar. He's the husband of Mrs. Dunbar. And and you know, Roger, and you know, Sherman, after Roger moved out, I moved into that pig pen Sometimes it's better just to stop talking. I like the old saying of God gives us two ears and one mouth because it tells us we need to probably listen twice as much as we speak. It was the same way for Zachariah. I love our story this morning. Such a wo- story of a wonderful couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth were people of great faith, loving, kind, good people, righteous people. It turned out that both of them were of the house of Aaron. Now Aaron was a priest, the original priest with Moses, and if you were of that lineage then you could be a priest. And so Zechariah was a priest and Elizabeth, well she too was of that house and lineage. I mean they, they both had a great bloodline. They were good people the only problem they had was they'd never had any children. And in that day, it was your responsibility to society to have children. And if you had lots of children, and if you had male children, then it showed you were blessed. Zachary and Elizabeth here, they're good, faithful people, and they have no children. It weighed so heavy on them I mean, in that day, there was no Social Security and no Medicare and there's no retirement homes. When you got older, you had to count on your children and your grandchildren to take care of you. They struggled now as they had gotten older. Life had not gone the way they had planned. Well, Each year during high and holy times, there would be the opportunity for a priest to go into the temple, to burn incense, and to offer prayers on behalf of all the people. But there were so many priests. I mean, you think, if you're a descendant of Aaron, you can be a priest. Well, now Aaron had lived 1,200 years before. There are a lot of descendants around. And so getting to be chosen to go in and burn incense and say prayers, well, the odds were way against you. It's more like winning the lottery. Most priests would go through their whole life and never get that opportunity. But this year, when they cast lots, that is, it's like rolling dice, it fell on Zechariah. It would be the highlight of his life to be able to go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, to burn incense, to offer the prayers. You just know he had to be excited. And he goes in and there he is in this special holy place and he is praying. And the angel Gabriel shows up. Now we know what Zechariah was praying. The angel Gabriel says, the Lord has heard your prayer. And oh, by the way, Elizabeth is going to conceive and bear a son. And Zachariah says, How can that be? I mean, we are both advanced in age. No, he was not praying that Elizabeth would have a child. He knew that was long past. He was struggling still with the fact that I do something wrong? Am I being punished? Was I a bad person? Why has this happened to us? He was a man who had really lost all hope about the future and what could be. He was learning to accept what was, and that's what he would live with. No, he's praying about his sense of guilt, a sense of feeling lonely. A man who had lost hope. And the angel Gabriel shows up and says, the Lord's heard your prayer. Oh, and by the way, Elizabeth is going to conceive and bear a son can be. I mean we're both advanced in age. Because you did not believe, well you're not going to be able to speak until that child is born. And so now Zechariah is going to have to be silent for the next nine to ten months. We know that's going to be the case. He comes out of the temple and when he comes out of the temple there's a crowd of people waiting for him to come to bring a blessing, to share some words. And he can't say anything. And they now know something special happened in there. Well, he goes home. He can't speak. We go all the way through those nine months. Elizabeth delivers a child. Eight days after a child is born, that's when you get together and you have a circumcision service and you have a naming service. And so they all come together for this holy moment and they turn to Elizabeth and they say, what name shall be given this child? It's just what I will say, any of the ministers will say, when we're baptizing a baby. We come to that moment in the service and we say, what name is given this child? And they ask Elizabeth and she says, John. John? Nobody in your family is named John. And so they turn to Zachariah and they write to Zechariah, what do you think the child should be named? I mean, they're thinking he'll come up with something like Zechariah Jr. You know, we'll call him Zachy. Um, and he writes back, he should be called John. And when he writes that, his tongue is loosed and suddenly he can speak and now he is praising God of what God is doing for his people now and what God is going to do in the future. Suddenly, Zachariah is a man who knows a thrill of hope This morning, I want to continue on with our Advent Sermon series, A Thrill of Hope. I introduced to you last week our song that we're looking at this year throughout all of Advent, and that's O Holy Night. Such a beautiful hymn that was written and came to the United States, was translated in the 1860s, has spread throughout America but around the world, O Holy Night. Last week we were looking at the line, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and a glorious morn. Well, this morning I want to talk about another line from the hymn. In all our trials, born to be our friend. He knows our need, to our weakness, no stranger. I believe that Zachariah was struggling, feeling that he must have done something wrong, feeling guilty, feeling like they were being punished. He needed to experience the gift of Christmas because the gift of Christmas is about God's expression of love for the world, a baby born in Bethlehem. Jesus did not come into the world because the world was so good. Jesus came into the world because God wanted us to experience what it means to be loved by Almighty God. There is a message of hope. When we experience that gift of God's love what we discover is in all our trials born to be a friend. He knows our needs and to our weakness no stranger. It was Zechariah who needed to experience that word of hope, as I think we all do. And it's why you and I are right now made a commitment throughout this season of Advent. We're going to be very disciplined and dedicated to reading our devotionals, to starting each day in a time of silence and prayer, a time of reading. We need to be listening. And what happens when we do? That's what I want to think about this morning. And I just want to share with you two ideas. I believe when you and I grow still and we listen, you're going to hear a word of encouragement. A word of encouragement from Almighty God. It's what the birth of Jesus is about. We are told God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. It's God who wants to bring a word of encouragement in all our trials, born to be our friend. You know, whenever we think about Zechariah, and he winds up saying, how can this be? We're both advanced in age. And Gabriel says, because you did not believe, you will not be able to speak until the baby is born. So often we hear that as punishment. You weren't willing to believe. I don't think that's what it was at all. I think it was God's gift. It was God's way of saying, I want you to listen. You need to spend more time listening, Zechariah. It was God who was wanting a relationship with Zechariah. You're going to have to take the time to listen over these next nine months. And you think about it. He's going into this period and he is grieving a prayer of, He's feeling guilty, ashamed. He's feeling like somehow things have gone badly and he's going to come out on the other end. We read at the end of the story, a man who is praising God on a person full of hope. To have the time to listen? Are you taking the time to be spiritually disciplined throughout this season as we read and pray and light our candles and listen for God to speak. I saw recently that Mitch Albom had a new book coming out. It's a book entitled Little Liar. And it's all about the Holocaust. It's a novel. You know, Mitch Albom has now written more than ten books. I've read many of them, not all of them. But he is, I think, a great writer. You remember how he worked for the Detroit Free Press as a Sports writer is what he used to do. And he wrote a book 25 years ago, 26 years ago now, called Tuesday with Maury. Still one of my favorite books. I found it wandering around Barnes & Noble looking for something to read that might be able to preach on. Had not heard about it. Looked good. I bought it and, man, it just blew me away. Still my favorite of all of his books. But he wrote a second book that I love as well. It's a great book. And it's called Have a Little Faith. And it's the true story about his rabbi, Albert Lewis. And he talks about his own life how, you know, growing up as a young person, he was so involved in his congregation, in the synagogue. He helped lead worship. I mean, he was really involved. Got bar mitzvah, but then he goes off to college. And, you know, so often when you go off to college, you start kind of falling away, you get out of the habit. And so he wasn't going to synagogue, he wasn't worshiping. And then he gets involved in life, and it's not that he didn't believe in God, it's just he didn't really need God so much anymore and take time for God. And so then one day he got a call from his rabbi, Albert Lewis, and Al called to say, would you give my eulogy at my funeral? Now, Mitch wasn't used to giving eulogies at funerals, and he was so taken back and so honored that he would ask, and yet really also intimidated, and he thought, Okay, I'm going to need to start interviewing him. I'm going to have to find out about his life. And he thought, my rabbi must be very sick and getting ill and maybe close to dying. Well, he started interviewing his rabbi, and what he found was he was in great health. In fact, the truth of the matter was he was going to live a number of more years. He just simply wanted to engage Mitch in conversation, get him to coming back to have to learn things. And so he got him reengaged in coming back to the synagogue and getting involved in faith again. A tricky little rabbi he was, but Mitch would laugh about it later and go, man, he really pulled one over on me, but he he started showing up to interview his rabbi to get prepared for this eulogy. And one day he asked him, he said, so how did you hear the call to become a rabbi? Did you see a burning bush? No, 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 I didn't see any burning bush. I was going to be a history teacher, Al said. But you know, I thought about how much I loved God. And I thought, maybe I ought to teach about God instead of just history. And so I decided to go to seminary. So Al went to seminary. And he got involved in seminary. First semester, he was certainly smart enough. He was making the grades. But after that first semester, the dean of the seminary was talking with other professors and they were evaluating the students they had. And they all agreed that Al didn't have what it took to be a good rabbi. And he said, I'll never forget, Louis Finkelstein, the dean, coming and saying, we all don't feel like you have what it takes to be a rabbi. Mitch was stunned. How could they say that? He had grown up with Al. It's the only rabbi he had ever had. I mean, he said when he gave his sermons, you were sitting on the edge of your seat listening to him. He was so kind and compassionate with all the people, young and old. Didn't have what it took. What did you do, he said. What could I do? I dropped out. So that summer, Albert uh, Al decided that he would go and work as a youth counselor at a summer camp, a religious camp, and really just try to figure out what's the next step. Where does he go from here? This summer camp was a place where the kids would come and they would literally be there all summer. It wasn't a two-week kind of a thing. I mean, they were coming for two and a half months. And so he was there, and right off the bat, he met a kid named Phineas. Phineas was 16 years old. Phineas was in a rebellious mode, a kid who just didn't fit in, socially awkward. And he was the kind of kid that, we're going to gather over here, and Phineas would go over there. Let's all just come over and sit down. Phineas would stand up. All right, let's all stand up. Phineas would sit down. I mean, that's just the kind of kid he was. And Al saw him and he understood. And he thought, I am going to get to know him. I'm going to get to know him and I'm going to care about him. And, And so he did get to know Phineas. And they would talk about life and God. They'd talk about love and meaning and as they went through all of that summer, in the end, Phineas found himself. It became one of those moments in life where it was a turn. When he went home, he was a different person. And when he went home, his parents were just blown away. They knew the kid they sent off to camp and who they got back was someone so different. They called up to Alan and said, would you come to dinner? You're a miracle worker. We sent off our son. Uh, We sent him off as a boy who was rebellious. We got home a man, a person of faith. Al went over. What he didn't realize was Phineas' father, Max, was a very significant leader in the conservative branch of Judaism. And he went to his home and his mom and dad are just going on and on about what an amazing job he did and how he had blessed their son, and they were so grateful. And they were sitting around eating dinner when out of the blue, Max said, Al, have you ever thought about going to seminary? And Al said, He literally choked on his food. He took a moment and got his breath and said, I did. I failed. And there was just silence at the dinner table. Nobody said a word. And it was silent for a while. Until finally Max spoke and said, Would you try again? Yes, I would. Well, it turned out that if Max wanted you back in seminary, that wasn't a problem getting back into seminary. And with Max as your mentor, well, he did very well. And when he graduated seminary, they sent him out to be the the pastor there at a small congregation. He would be there for 50 years, taking this little community of a couple hundred people, and when he retired 50 years later, it would be a group of several thousand. He was amazing. So many lives were touched and changed. Why? Because somebody was willing to ask, Will you try again? I believe it's the message of a birth of a baby in Bethlehem. God is reaching out to each of us to say, Will you try again? It doesn't matter if you've failed, if you've made a mistake, if bad things have happened. Will you try again? That's what Christmas is about. It's not about God sending His Son into the world so that we can hear a word of judgment, sending His Son into the world so we can be punished or feel ashamed. Zechariah would find When you stop and you listen, the word you hear, it left him so changed, he was a man with a thrill of hope. In all our trials, born to be our friend. He knows our needs and to our wants, he is no stranger. Secondly, if you and I are willing to be disciplined and we are willing to listen, I believe God will speak. So be willing to trust the nudging of your heart. I don't know how else to say it. Trust the nudgings of your heart. God does speak, usually not in a burning bush. And usually not in just some sort of audible voice. But I do believe there's always those coincidences, that nudging. I believe God comes first of all to speak to each of us a word of encouragement. Will you try again? But I also believe God comes to encourage you to be the person who then speaks that word to somebody else. And if you will learn to trust the nudgings of your heart, I need to call. I need to go see. I need to do this. You might be stunned to see what starts happening in the world around you. Because God will speak. You know, I look at Zachariah and Elizabeth, the nudging of their heart. What should you name this child? She says, John. Zachariah, what do you think? Don't you want Zachariah, Jr.? John, to set them free for a world of hope. What is God nudging you to do? Nudging you in ways to love and believe and be kind. You'll be stunned if you listen and if you expect God to answer your prayers. Now, this next Tuesday I'm going to be going to a luncheon for Fields and Futures. Fields and Futures is a wonderful organization that has been committed now for years to redo all the athletic fields of the Oklahoma City Public Schools. And they have done that and I mean it has changed. High school graduation rates significantly. The kids who stay in school and are participating phenomenal program. And every year they have a big banquet and they're raising funds and I get to go pray at their luncheon, and and it's been so much fun because through the years I've been able to meet many of the people they bring in as speakers, and they've had some great ones. And I, I was thinking about going this next week and thinking about the different speakers, and it made me think about Cal Ripken, because Cal Ripken was such an incredible player. My son Paul loved Cal Ripken because Cal Ripken played third base for the Baltimore Orioles. Paul was going to John Hopkins there in Baltimore, playing third base for the uh, Johns Hopkins, and and so we, we've had a great love for Cal Ripken in his career. He was known as the Iron Man. I mean, he he played more games in a row than the person who had the record by far, which was Lou Gehrig. But now it's owned by Cal Ripken. Wonderful fielder, wonderful batter, but above all, a great human being. Well, the story of Cal Ripken that I love was actually comes from a lady named Debbie Myers. Debbie Myers was a second grade teacher there in Baltimore years ago. Now, she had twenty three kids, loved her students, very dedicated. And early that year, she had one child, Brian, who developed brain cancer. They had to operate. They had to have treatment. And they felt that it came out well. They had a good prognosis. But in all the process, Brian had gone blind. He was back in school. And he was such an amazing kid. Before all this happened, I mean, he was just always so happy and so inspiring to the other kids. He loved to sing James Brown, I Feel Good. And he would make the kids laugh. And now after all this, he still did the same thing. So positive. Still playing with the other kids. Still dancing and singing to I feel good. Well, she had them all keeping a a journal. They came to Thanksgiving. What are you grateful for? Got right on the other side of Thanksgiving and she said, what's the one thing you would wish for for Christmas? And it was Brian who said, he wrote in his journal, I'd like to shake Cal Ripken's hand. He had loved baseball. He had been a little baseball player. Well, when his students, his fellow classmates found out what Brian was asking for, they wanted to help it happen. And so they went to Miss Debbie and said, why don't we all write a letter to Cal Ripken and ask him to come and meet Brian so he can shake his hand? I mean, we need to tell him how great Brian is and I know that he would come. And of course, Debbie's thinking. Cal Ripken is not going to come to my second grade class. But at the same time, how do you say to these kids, I don't want you to express your love. I don't want you to try and do something nice for a classmate. She felt really in a tension and a bind. And so finally she said, okay, let's write letters. So all the class wrote letters to Cal Ripken telling them how wonderful Brian is and how much he wanted to meet him and would he come and shake his hand and they wrote all the letters, and she said, we'll mail them to the Baltimore Orioles Publicity Department, and they, she went and mailed them off. Well, the kids immediately expected they'll get a call from Cal Ripken, but the next week went by, and of course, there was no call, and then a second week went by. Every day, they're coming in, have you heard from Mr. Ripken? No. At the end of the second week, she knew they only had one more week before school was going to be out for the Christmas holidays, and she was just beside herself. How am I going to break it to them that even though they loved Brian and they were trying so hard to be kind, it wasn't going to happen? She went to church that Sunday, and when she went to church, they came to the part of their service. It was a smaller church. In which that asks for prayer concerns. You may have been at a worship service where the pastor comes out and says, Are there any prayer concerns? Yeah, my grandmother's ill. Would you pray for my grandpa? My husband's getting surgery. Would you pray for it? All kinds of interesting things come up when you ask that question. Well, the one thing Debbie never did was offer a prayer concern. That was not her. She never did that. But that morning, sitting there, she felt a voice saying, Lift up your prayer concern. Lift up your prayer. And she would later say it was like an out-of-body experience that she found herself standing up and suddenly she's just babbling about Brian and talking about this kid and then talking about the kids wanting to write Cal Ripken and how she knew Cal Ripken was not going to come and of course they hadn't responded and now she's going to have to break it to the kids and it's going to hurt them and disappoint... She was just so upset. And she said, and I'm sorry, I've taken too much time and I know we shouldn't be praying about this kind of thing. And the pastor said, whoa, I think it's fine for us to pray for Brian, to pray for the children, to pray for Mr. Ripken. So they did. And when the service was over, many people in the congregation came up to her and said, man, Brian must be a special kid to go through all he's gone through and still have this spirit. That's really neat. You know Cal Ripken didn't come into your class. I know, she said. I know. That's what's grieving me. They came to Monday. The kids were feeling the pressure. Have you got a call from Mr. Ripken? No. Tuesday, have you heard from Mr.? R-? No. Wednesday, have you heard? No. Thursday, have you heard? No and then right at the end of the day an aide from the principal's office came running down to her room and said we just had a call from cal ripkin he wants to see you and brian tomorrow at eight thirty at the ballpark if you can be there oh my gosh she couldn't believe it the next morning she'd grabbed brian they were down at the ballpark they were there before 8:30 and they came in and they ushered them back into kind of a conference room. They were there for only a few moments and in walked Cal Ripken. He understood blindness. He came over and knelt down in front of Brian and said, "Would you like to see me?" And he began running his fingers all over his face. And and then they started talking about baseball and Christmas. And then Cal got up, and he went over and sat in this big, comfortable chair. And he said, why don't you come over and sit in my lap? My kids love this. And Brian sat in his lap, and suddenly Cal started spinning around in a circle, fast and fast and fast. And Brian is squealing and laughing, and they're just having the best time. And then he gets out all kinds of jerseys to sign, and he gets out ball caps and baseballs so that Brian can give them to his friends and have whatever he wants. I mean they just have a grand time they are there for an hour and Debbie said I never felt hurried I never felt rushed he just was taking his time with Brian but she was the one who finally said Brian we're gonna have to go Mr. Ripkin is gonna have many things to do and so Brian understood he got up and immediately put out his hand to shake his hand and Cal said can I have a hug When my kids hug me, I tell them to squeeze my neck as hard as they can. Brian jumped into his arms and squeezed his neck. And Debbie said, as Cal was hugging Brian, all she could think about was what Cal had said when he first came in. He never got their letters never got their letters as far as he could figure they probably were still at the publicity department. You no, know, what happened was he said apparently you were in church on Sunday and you stood up and gave a prayer request and a member of your church plays on a church basketball league on Wednesdays and my agent is a member of his team And so the member of your church told my agent about the prayer request Wednesday night. And so Thursday morning, he came in and told me about the prayer request. And then we had to spend all day Thursday going, Who's Debbie? Who's Brian? It took us all day Thursday to hunt you down before we could get word to you Thursday evening. And Debbie said, I was watching the two of them hug, and I thought, This almost didn't happen because I almost didn't lift up my prayer request because I didn't expect an answer. Do you expect an answer? I don't think Zachariah expected an answer, he was feeling punished guilty, but he's pouring out his heart and Gabriel said, the Lord has heard your prayer and is going to conceive and bear a son and now you're going to be quiet for the next nine months. And at the end of nine months this man who had been so discouraged and down had a thrill of hope. If you're listening, I believe God will speak because in our trials He's born to be our friend. He understands our needs and of our weakness He is no stranger. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. You've been listening to the sermon podcast of St. Luke's Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.